it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 103. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about IPOs uh, with the upcoming Uber IPO on the horizon. Actually, it's going to begin uh, here very shortly. Uh, Andrew and I thought it would be apropos for us to talk a little bit about IPOs and a little bit about Uber and just kind of our general thoughts about how this will work, what we think is a good investment, and so on. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take your first stab at this, and then we'll have a little conversation about it. Okay. I want to, so I guess to overview on the Uber IPO, and then maybe we can talk about IPOs in general. So based on, we're we're recording this literally the day of their IPO. So it's happening kind of in real time as we're talking. They, some people, (laughs) there are huge expectations for this. Obviously, Lyft had an IPO very recently. Some people, I don't know where they got this idea, but some people were thinking that, Uber with IPO at like a hundred billion market cap. Um, I read I read one hundred and twenty billion. <laughs> like where where yeah. do they, they they just like put a bunch of numbers in a hat and oh one hundred and twenty sounds nice and that's what they decide. I don't I don't get it at all. The no. what ended up happening was eight point one billion as of today as as what I'm seeing. Um, they're saying. Facebook raised like 16, Visa raised 18 in 2008, and Alibaba raised 25 billion in 2014. So, to put that in perspective, I mean, eight's still pretty big, um, but you know, obviously not like a record-breaking number. I don't know. Like, I guess we could comment on like where we think it's going to go. I don't know how useful that that would be. I hate their business model just just as a as a aside, I guess. Uh reminds me of Amazon, right? Obviously Lyft is the same business model. It's just like this this race to the bottom. How how can that ever be profitable? Very true and I I I think some things that people have to keep in mind with the 
typical hysteria of IPOs. I mean, Uber has been around for what, 10 years now. It's been around for a little bit. And Lyft has been around for a little bit as well. And Lyft's IPO was not quite as, I guess, glamorous as Uber's is going to be. And, you know, Lyft is already, the, the stock price is already down 30% since its IPO, which was a couple of weeks ago. And to bring up Andrew and I, one of our favorite whipping boys, uh, Snapchat, I was just looking at the numbers on Snapchat uh, while Andrew was was chatting. And it initially IPO'd at $27. It's now down to $10.44 a share. And it got as low as $4.99 a share at one point, not too long ago. So IPOs can be very dangerous to get involved in because you get super excited about all the hype and everything. And uh, I think I read yesterday that Uber, uh, prior to going public, lost $800 million last year, I believe it was. So they're obviously bleeding cash huge. And Andrew mentioned their business model. And their business model is based on people, other, you know, other employees driving for them. And there's a lot of unrest among the people that work for Uber, i.e. the drivers, because of how the payments work. Uber takes a fair fair amount of the money that an Uber driver gets, and I think they're getting frustrated with that. And then, of course, there's also the whole technological aspect of how this is going to work because there's a race to see who can be become the first people with a driverless car. And of course, these uh, Uber and Lyft are going to be very, very much in the forefront of that because if they can develop that or with the help of of Google and, and some of the other companies out there that are working on this, the first person that develops that, the people that drive for these companies are done. And those those people will be out of jobs. If that's their main source of income, they'll have to find something else. And if it's a side gig, then you know they'll have to find something else because once that happens, then those cars will go out and they will take the place of the drivers. And that'll be, that'll be unfortunate because that's a huge source of income for a lot of these people. So that to me is something that's a little bit of a negative about what's, what's on the horizon is it may not happen tomorrow, but it's, it's coming. And some of it's happening already. Yeah. I know they're testing it. Yeah. They're, they're testing it actually in, um, Phoenix, Arizona, I read uh, recently that the, that Google has partnered with Lyft and they are working on, uh, you know, beta testing driverless cars in Phoenix, Arizona. So Phoenix is a fairly big place. It's not a bad place to start it because uh, I lived there for a while and the grid is very easy to get around. It's everything is because it's so flat. There's a few mountains here or there, but for the most part, it's very flat and it's really easy to uh, to get around. And I think that would be a great place for them to start because there's not a lot of weather to deal with because it's just hot all the time. Mm. <laughs> so you don't have to deal with, with deal with the snow thing like where I am in Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, it's a great place to, to, to do this, but it, it's coming. And I think that's one of the things that concerns me a little bit about, you know, how this company is going to work and how it's going to treat the people that work for them and have made it where it is and got brought it to the name that it is because eventually I I think they're excited about it because I think that's one of the things that they see as a way to profitability is, you know, instead of having to pay other people for, you know, their service, then they can just buy the cars and not have to worry about the maintenance of the vehicles and the upkeep and the technology part of it and not have to pay us, you know, human peasants to, 
drive everybody. That's a good point. I mean, that is a potential driver catalyst for future profitability. Um, obviously, it's not here yet. I, I've, I've, I've never. So I visited Phoenix once. Um, it reminded me a lot of California. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so just like the way the roads looked and the way the freeways looked, it, it reminded me a lot of SoCal. Uh, I was only there for like one night and part of a day, so I don't remember. But do you remember if there were a lot of pedestrians around, just like in general? Because no. I know no. with driverless, a huge no. thing with driverless cars is uh, a human might look and they might see like an on you know like you make a split second decision am i going to hit this pedestrian next to me or am i going to hit you know the car next to me and a robot might not right you know they they can't process that data that like oh you know maybe they go over and, and run over the person rather than hit the car because they just see it as a data point i don't know like does that make sense it does. It does. No, there's not a lot of pedestrians. Uh, I mean, there will be in certain areas, you know, if you're in the market district in, in Scottsdale or if you're over by, you know, Arizona State, obviously there's going to be, you know, more foot traffic there. But by and large, no, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of foot traffic in, in and around the city itself. It's a pretty big city. Uh, I, I want to say it's probably eight or nine million as far as population goes, but it's pretty spread out. And amongst all the suburbs and you know Mesa, Chandler, Tempe, Arizona, you know Phoenix, and so on. So it, it's it's very spread out, but it's um, people drive fast. Uh, they're very aggressive, and uh, but I think it's you know it's a good place you know because of the weather, and it's not as big as someplace like Los Angeles, obviously right. with you know just massive. So I I think it's you know I think it's a good place to test it because it's big enough that they can do stuff and they can you know really test how it can work in a in a larger urban market, and it's not a weather related issue, so they don't have to you know as they're testing it they don't need to have to deal with snow and ice and lots and lots of rain and some of those things. So. Well, it makes me think, think too, a, like, I never really thought of this in depth before, but what, you know, because th- that's like one of the most ideal testing spots and maybe one of the most ideal places to implement it. Does it become something where it's similar to the way the subways are in New York, right? Where just certain cities have really great public transportation and some right. like LA has don't. no public transportation. And so do we right. just see Lyft and Uber get... Uh, implemented in certain cities where the conditions are good for it, the weather, the pedestrian, like whatever all the factors are between the ups, the the pros and the cons between driverless and and, and real drivers. And does that hurt the future profitability and all the the optimism? Because if it's a yes, it's innovative. Yes, it's a technology, huge technology boost. But if it only gets implemented in like half the cities, well, now all of a sudden, does that mean your valuation? Did your valuation model project that we were going to roll out across the country and instead it only went to a couple of ideal cities? Uh, that's, I mean, that's an interesting take on it. Uh, you know, I would, I would imagine, I mean, I'm going to, I've never, I haven't been to LA since Uber has been around. They have Ubers in Los Angeles, do they not? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, I mean, even here in, in Piddly, Appleton, Wisconsin, they have it here too. So, uh, I think that it will, 
you know, I, I mean, I predict that it will become in a lot of places de facto uh, public transportation because we we have buses here, but it's not a huge, you know, a lot of people don't use it. Like when I lived in Minneapolis, you know, the public transit system there was very good and a lot of people use that. A lot of my employees when I worked in the restaurant business uh, took buses uh, to and from work and saved a lot of money and, you know, saved you on car insurance. I mean, there was a lot of advantages to it for sure. Uh, and so I think, I, I mean, I would think that, you know, eventually this takes the place of, in, you know, like you said, in Los Angeles, they don't really have much in the way of public transport transportation. So this could become, you know, that for a lot of people. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. And when you think about, you know, like, let's compare it to another transportation industry, airlines. Um, I think airlines, how do I, how, I got to be careful with what I say here. <laughs> um, Warren Buffett is bullish on airlines. I think that's off. Well, again, I have to be careful. So he, he took a, he's, he's warmish. <laughs> yeah. He took a 5% position in, in airlines. Right. And he kind of diversified it across a group of three or four stocks. So. Mm-hmm. He's at least making a play in airlines now, 
obviously, well, I can't say obviously because I wasn't around back then, but um, when the airlines first came out, I, I'm assuming the technology's better. Maybe we get to locations faster. There's definitely more routes or more flight, more flights, right? Um, in in just the five years that I've seen, uh, particularly where I'm at now in Raleigh. Um, so as a uh, as a, not like a consumer good, but as a mode of transportation for people, it's definitely improved. But if you are to look at the history of the stocks in the airline industry, they've historically been terrible, terrible investments. And there's been so much disruption and a lot of financial troubles, even with the major airlines. And so, you know, when you think about, yeah, it completely changed the way we travel, but was it a great investment and how much of that can run parallel and how much of that kind of plays itself out with Uber and Lyft? I mean, there's just so much uncertainty. How can you even know? Very true. You know, that's, that's a lot of the part of the, you know, we talked last week about risk. This is a classic case of a company that has been a disruptor for sure and has the potential to be something very, very beneficial to mankind and will also potentially could be a great investment someday. But I guess it all comes back to what do you believe? What are your principles? You know, how do you feel about investing in a company like this? And, you know, for you and I, you know, for me, I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you know, for me, I would not, I would not bite on this because it's not profitable. I mean, all the things that I stand for as an investor, it doesn't really mark any of those boxes at this point in time. And, you know, could I be like Warren Buffett was saying in the Berkshire meeting last week, you know, he missed on Amazon, you know, could this be the next Amazon? Sure. It could be, but you know, it, to me, it's, you know, it comes back to everybody's risk tolerance. And to me, for this particular circumstance, Uber is too much of a risk. I just think there's too many variables about what's going on with the company, where are they going to go, how they're going to make themselves profitable because it goes back to you know when you invest in a company you're not just buying the ticker you're buying the company and what they're doing and how they're making money and if they're not making money then eventually they're not going to be able to pay you back so when you invest in a company you're giving them your money to use to do whatever they need to do and if you can't get your money back then that's a bad investment and there's no guarantee that this company is ever going to be profitable. And eventually that will come back to bite them in the butt. And so there's just a lot of uncertainty with the company. And I guess the other aspect of it too is at this, why at this juncture are they deciding to go public? You know, what's driving them to go public today? Nice pun. I guess I don't know that answer. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Don't hey. don't get me started on Amazon. Um makes me really upset. So I was trying to buy something yesterday on Amazon and I don't know how long you've been using Amazon Prime. I just assume everybody else in the world uses it like I do. I it's a it's, brace yourself but I actually don't have Amazon Prime. Oh man. How, I'm probably how one of the you? three people in the world who don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
the way it's worked, you get two day shipping. Sometimes you get one day shipping. Right. Uh, when I was shopping yesterday, instead of having guaranteed delivery, I was getting, I was seeing the the blue Prime check mark, which means historically for the years I've been using Amazon Prime, when there's a blue check mark, you're getting it in two days, guaranteed. Um, sometimes even sooner than that. Now it they would con- they would include these items that I wanted to purchase, but they would say as soon as. So I was looking on a Thursday and two-day delivery would be on a Saturday. And they were saying as soon as Saturday. Um, and half the items in my cart, even though they had the check mark, were actually not coming until Monday or Tuesday. And so it's like now instead of being a guaranteed delivery for the check mark, it's a you can get it as soon as or we're going to deliver it in a couple of days. And that's see, that's a perfect example of the problem when you have a business model like Amazon's a perfect example of a business model where we're just racing to the bottom and we're, we're competing on price. And that's how, you know, we're going to squeeze all of our competition. We're going to squeeze out everybody by having such low profit margins that nobody's going to be able to compete. They can't stay profitable. And because we're so big and we have more resources, we have more investors, we're going to be the one who, who goes up to the top. Now, Eventually, investors are going to want profits as they are now. And so Amazon, how is Amazon going to make profits? They're going to do stuff like this. And all it's doing is pissing me off and making me realize, well, you know, Walmart, I think, has two-day shipping. There's other options now. And I, mm-hmm. I, the more and more I've been doing online shopping, the more I've seen value in actually going to a store and buying it. Because for one, you have better... You have a better way of like kind of doing quality control. And it's just, you know, it's it's driving me away from Amazon. And I'm somebody who's been a loyal customer for years, Amazon Prime customer for years. And we're just talking about one little adjustment to their business model to be more profitable. Imagine what else is going to happen. I see this happen all the time with a lot of other free type products and it drives me nuts where they'll get you acclimated and accustomed to features and then they'll start pulling those back you know it's it all it does is it just drives customers away and so it's like how are you yeah you 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 as an amazon you became prominent and you got this dominance based on the fact that you're able to race to the bottom. Now you're trying to change your business model by taking things away that people got accustomed to. All that's doing is pissing people off. And you, if you think that's going to be a profitable business model, well, let's just wait and see. And so when you, when you think about Uber and Lyft, I think it's very similar. Why, at least I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for the rest of the people who use Uber and Lyft, but I use them simply because it's more convenient and cheaper. And so like I, I use both. And so oftentimes if, if like, let's say I pull up, uh, cause I like to go out at night and, you know, have a few drinks and, and take a Uber or Lyft home to be safe. Right. And sometimes when you do that and you go at popular times, they jack up the prices with surge pricing. So if I see, if I open up like Lyft and I get surge pricing on the night, well, I'll just, if it's like a three, three X on what I usually pay, well, and then I'll open up the Uber app and see if that's the same case. So really what I'm doing, it's, it's, it's a commodity to me. It, I don't, even though, you know, Uber and Lyft have tried to do these things to, to give, to make me a loyal customer. 
I'm still not going to pay a 3x premium just because I like Lyft better because they gave me a discount, you know, two weeks ago or a Lyft pass. That's another thing they're rolling out. Whereas it's like you pay $10 and you get $5 off the next 10 rides over the next two or four week period. I like that. And, and it actually saved me money because I, I happened to buy it at a time when my car was in the shop. So I used it a lot and I got a lot of value out of it. And they probably lost money on me, but they probably made a lot of money on, on other people. But just because of that doesn't give me any customer loyalty to Lyft. If if Lyft is going to give me a surge price of 3x and Uber is over here not surge pricing at the same time, I'm switching over to Uber. So how do you keep customers loyal and also keep prices low and then also increase profitability for investors? I just you you have to kind of pick one and that's it's just not you can't win at all. So how does that become a profitable business model? Good question. Hey you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. That's and I think that's that's really the the big question. And you know, there's an article here on MarketWatch talking about profitability for Uber and Lyft, and they're talking about the what we were talking about getting rid of the drivers, but also about raising their prices. And they think that they're likely to do both. And so it makes sense if you eliminate your one of your biggest costs, which is people, and you raise the prices you charge the people that use your service, then, you know, you're cutting out a huge expense and you're raising your income. You know, you're raising your revenue. That's uh, that's a great way to to achieve profitability. I guess the bigger question is, is that will people be willing to pay it? That's always the that's always the trick, right? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to play devil's advocate to that. Let's say, okay, now Uber and Lyft are kind of deciding to raise prices. Maybe they do it together, right? Because um, they they want to become more profitable. But what happens when you do that is now other competitors will see that. And if, if they'll have access to similar technology, because your patents aren't going to last forever, well, then what's right. going to stop them from entering the market and doing the exact same thing you did 10 years ago and stealing all a bunch of your customers by doing a price race to the bottom? I just I think transportation is so commoditized. It's very hard to, to build some sort of loyalty and long-term customer value by not competing on price. I've, you know, I, I think that's that's the scary thing about investing in some of these companies is that you you don't know where some of this is going to go. And that's why I think some of the bigger value investors have stayed away from some of these companies because they just don't know where some of this is going to go and how they're going to, how they're going to reach profitability and how they're going to reach their goals that they, they need to, to reach because you can't go, you can't go living off of, you know, selling your shares and venture capitalists forever. Eventually you have to be able to stand in your own two feet and make your own money. And I mean, and, and you contrast that to the type of value investing we like to do. We like to look at businesses that are already established and already have profits coming in. So when I think of a company like Disney that I own, they're, they're in arguably a huge growth. They have huge growth opportunities too, right? They're competing with Netflix and we've talked about them in the past. And I feel like I talked 
I've talked about them a lot, but you know, so they're like in every industry, there's a chance for any company to become more profitable. All it could take is one innovation, like a, like in Uber and Lyft's case, having uh, no more expenses for drivers. Well, in like Disney's case, they could steal a lot of market share from Netflix. They could have the next hit series that's like the next Game of Thrones. It's all these things could happen that could that could provide a huge growth catalyst, and you can say that about any investment. So you have the option between you know Uber and Lyft is exciting because everybody kind of knows them, right? They're they're IPOing, so everything it's it's like fresh. They they don't have any track record in the stock market, but in my opinion, that makes it less attractive for purchase rather than more attractive because you can find growth opportunities in any industry, but why not look for growth opportunities plus businesses with core business models where it's already profitable? You know, any any sort of profitability, you can always increase that profitability. That's what every business is trying to do. So in a world where you're investing and nobody's putting a gun to your head saying you need to buy you need to pick between one of the three IPOs that comes out this year. Another option is I'm just not going to invest in those. You can pick your circle of competence. You can pick the type of business models you want to invest in. You can pick what type of valuations you want to invest in. And so in my eyes, and when I look at my portfolio, the type of stocks that I buy, of course, I'm buying stocks with growth potential. It doesn't make sense not to. But I'm also being picky and, and picking those valuation ranges I like. Buying with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Um, buying, why would I buy a company with a ton of debt who's maybe fueling growth with debt? Well, what happens when you take the debt away? How are you going to continue to grow and compete? Why not pick a company that's competing just fine and has little debt? I think it's a no brainer. And you can say the same thing about how much earning power they have. What's their profitability? How much profits are they bringing in now? And you can do that with every stock you look at. And I think that's, but there's lots of factors to why investing in IPOs are, are generally a bad idea, but that's a huge one as well is because again, with the uncertainty, there's uncertainty in every industry. There's generally a chance for disruption in many industries. So why, when, when you can have, you know, why, why pick one that hasn't proven to be profitable yet when any business can become more efficient and more profitable, I would I would 100% just pick the ones like like we like to do. Profitable, low valuation, you know, paying you that dividend, giving you income and and having that stability and that peace of mind to know I'm already in businesses that are already dominant and they do have a chance to continue to grow and be dominant and I'm just going to be happy with that. Yeah, I I would agree with that and I think, you know, I I come back to boring is good <laughs> when investing in the stock market because you know it's just it's it's not sexy, it's not exciting. It gets you where you want to go and it's you kind of the classic, you know, do you want to invest in the hair or do you want to invest in the turtle? And you know, the the hair is flashy and it's fast and it's you know got lots of thrills and whatnot, but the turtle is the one that ends up winning in the end. So you know, that's to me is, and it also can help you sleep at night. You don't have to go on your phone every single day to look at the price of 
a particular company if you're investing that way. Whereas if you're buying out there buying, you know, the, the latest, greatest, fancy, shiny object like Uber is going to be today, then a week from now, you could have lost a third of what you invested quite easily. And that's the scary part for me about investing in IPOs. And it just, you know, we've talked about this before. And I think the thing that I would say about this is really the, the people that get rich in IPOs immediately are the people that own the company and the people that invested in the company from the get-go. Everybody else, not so much. And it doesn't mean that you couldn't down the road because there was, you know, not too long ago, Facebook's IPO came out with gangbusters. It fell off the fell off the the earth for a while, and now it's built back up to where it's quite high. Is it overvalued right now? Probably, but it was a success. You know, it's a successful company. You can argue all the morality of everything that Zuckerberg and everybody's been doing there. That station, but the the simple fact is when you invest in an IPO, the, the only two people, the only two groups of people that make money for sure are the owners and the people that invested in the company to start with. So uh, I think that would be something that would be very hesitant uh, to invest in a company. And I'm not saying you can't take like 50 bucks and throw it at, at Uber on, you know, your investment platform just for fun and see what happens with it but you know do you take your life savings and and pour it into the uh, something like this i'd be real hesitant to do that uh just because of all the things that andrew and i've talked about through the life of our 103 episodes of the podcast (laughs) or even just today uh there's just so many reasons why doing something like that would just be very detrimental to your long-term wealth and what we're trying to do here I'm I'm glad you brought up Facebook because that's more of the exception than the rule. Uh, you could bring up Facebook and say, well, that was almost a 10 bagger and they used to be not profitable and now they were able to do that. It's true. They found a way to make themselves profitable without pissing off their consumer base too bad. But I mean, for every Facebook, you can talk about a Twitter, you know, Twitter started at 41 today. It's at 38. So we're talking about, over four years of you talk about twitter uh an investment for four years where you you break even you you don't make any money on it compared to that where the s&p has been at you're not receiving a dividend with that and and just a lot of wasted time i pulled up an article um basically it was a usa today article the biggest companies that went ipo in 2018 and so obviously we're recording this in the middle of 2019 so they wrote this. Okay, so they wrote it at the end of 2018, looking at the the biggest IPOs of 2018, and then kind of checking in at the end of the year and seeing how these IPOs went. So the number one was Spotify. They dropped from 165 a share to 136. Um, there were a couple others that stayed kind of even. Some other ones that popped out to me. Here's one winner. It was Elanco E L A N. It went from 24 to 33. But ADT from 14 to 7, a 50% drop in less than a year. Uh, another one that popped out to me was, keep scrolling here, um, Gates Industrial GTS from 19 to 14. So you, you really have these stocks that are kind of all over the map 
when there's an IPO and, and really these valuations are kind of settling. And so when if you think about investing in an IPO, there's going to be a lot of volatility, there's going to be a lot of risk and just a lot of uncertainty. And like Dave said, I, I like that point where for speculation purposes, I think it's great, but we're talking about a lot of people on the show who listen to the show, they're investing their life savings, their, their hard-earned money. And while it can be fun to go to the casino and gamble, uh, when you talk about saving for retirement, trying to get financial freedom, trying to build income streams sustainably and reliably, in my opinion, that's a no-brainer to invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, rather than invest in no profitability and hope for profitability. Well said. I think that kind of sums up really what we've been trying to do since we started this podcast. And I think what I like about when we have news like what's going to happen today, it just helps illustrate that dated time and time again. And I agree with, you know, about what we're trying to do here and how we're trying to help people. And you have to always remember that you have to stick to what your plan is and what your principles are when you're investing, because you know, we all work hard for our money and to just throw it away at a shiny object, uh, it can hurt and it can discourage you from ever wanting to get involved with the stock market or trying to save any money for your wealth and for your retirement as you get older. And that's what this is all about. And that's what we're trying to help people to do. And that's why I think it's apropos that we talk about this from time to time, just to kind of remind people, this is why we do what we do. And this is, these are the things that we try to look at and see, you know, how we're doing what we're doing. And are we going to miss companies? Absolutely. There's nobody that's perfect. As great as an investor as Buffett is, he has missed companies and it's going to happen. But you can't be, you can't get caught up in the rat race of trying to get the better thing. You know, as great as Michael Jordan is and was, LeBron James, you can argue, was, has been better. And somewhere down the road, somebody's going to come along and be better than him. Andrew's, you know, hero is Kobe Bryant. There's going to be people. Uh, it's just the nature of of human beings and you can't get caught up in trying to one-up everybody and you have to stick to your principles and you have to do what you think is right and helps you sleep at night because that's really what it comes down to. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I hope you enjoyed all the things that we had to say. And I think one thing I'd like you to remember as you kind of go into the IPO and all the other stuff is just stick to your principles. Remember what we're trying to teach you guys. Emphasis on the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. And remember our tagline, margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. We'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.